Oh, no, that was, no, what day was that? No, well, let me remind you. Uh, it's hard enough being the preacher and remember what you preached last week. But two weeks ago, I encouraged us about being a M5 church. Oh, you got it. Yeah, M5. You remember. Well done. M5 church. And an M5 church being five functions of the church. That the church, if one of their great function is to be on mission and be a missional church reaching out with the message of Jesus. As we do that, our membership grows and, and people find where they fit as a member of the body of Jesus and the body of Christ and working out where each member fits. And we want to be a church working at all our gifts being used and full, mem- uh, full members of the church. And then, then if we're doing that, we're actually then maturing and we're growing. And so we're, we're getting stronger and we're we're being built up in the Lord. Uh, so that was a maturing church. And fifth, uh, fourthly, then if we're doing that and we're maturing, then we'll be a ministering church that serves one another and uses our gifts and seeks to see how we do do that and minister uh, to one another, but also to our, uh, our context and where God has put us. And lastly, if uh, we're doing that, then we're a church that is magnifying the Lord, worshipping Him, bringing glory and honour to Him. I will get to do that in song after our time together now, but we, we glorify Him in, in many different ways, listening to His Word, hearing His Word, doing His will, singing His praises, bringing glory to Him, being a magnifying church. That were the four M's, and I did say that in 2022, I wanted us to focus on ministry, that fourth one there, being a ministering church and that function of working out our different gifts and ministries. Last week, we looked at the ministry of baptism. If you remember, today it's the ministry of marriage and singleness. And at ABCH, that applies to all of us because we have people who are married here, married here for even 50 years. We have people here who have been married and may be single now, either widowed or have been divorced. We have people here who are single uh, for only two more weeks. Hey, and we'll be married very soon in two weeks' time. And we have people here that are single and are still single. And that is a good, noble and honourable way to live and a a Christian life, uh, living single, and people who are remarried as well. So I think this, this word and these teachings of Jesus applies to each and every one of us here. So hopefully you are listening out to what the Spirit is saying to you about that. But I want to say about church history first, the church has at different times, I, f- I suppose, viewed married and viewed celibacy or singleness in different degrees and, and held it up at, at different times. Uh, the Catholic church and, and celibacy and um, is maybe exonerated at some points and definitely that's the um, stipulation for you know, what we might call sacred ministry is for their, uh, to be single. The current Christian climate, I don't know what you'd say about the Protestant church or what would say about singleness, um, how we'd view singleness. I, I don't think it's held probably in that high esteem currently. And then you have the early church, and if you think back to the early church, well, how did they view it? And in the third century... Uh, there was a man called Origen. 
there was an origin. So I'll move to him now in the next slide you'll see a bit of a picture of him. Obviously I don't mean the state of origin, his name's spelled a little bit different if you just notice there. But origin was pretty prolific. He was a theologian, he actually was someone who did what's called biblical exegesis and biblical criticism. He wrote a whole lot of different writings on a variety of things. Hermeneutics, how you understand the Bible. Homiletics, how you preach it. And, and spiritual life. And so he wrote a whole array of different writings about um, the Christian life. And was quite, if you go and looking up or look up some of his writings. As you do that, you might find out something else. As a young man, he literally, or as a literal misreading maybe of Matthew 19 verse 12 um, had something done and he uh, verse 12 talks about being made a eunuch or being a eunuch Um, he castrated himself or uh, someone else did it for him it's not quite clear and uh, he wanted to ensure his reputation as a respectable tutor of young men and women Now, it's divided in church history, or how people look at that now, whether that actually is truth or it's fabricated. If you look in the 15th century, there's artworks that are quite graphic, and I'll spare your eyes of it, of of, uh, what they think happened. Uh, Maybe you'll find them sometime later. But it was, uh, and I'll, I'll leave that to you to work out your decision on that. But as we come here to Matthew verses 1 and 2, and he actually, uh, as a young man, maybe misread part of this. But as, as you turn there, and as we turn there, verse 1 and 2 really gives us a context. Now, it was two weeks ago that I shared, or one week ago that I shared, about the context of this, but I'll read it to you now. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, and he went to the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. So this is Jesus' ministry changes location. And he goes from, uh, as we looked, from public ministry to more private ministry with his disciples. And here it starts off very public as he gets in the crowds meeting, but it moves more to private as some people, Sadducees, uh, Pharisees come to him and then as he speaks to his twelve and it gets more private. Next week we'll see that it kind of gets public again as the children are brought to him. So there's a mixture of things happening here, but it's in the ministry, is happening now in the region of Judea. It's moved. Uh, Moved spaces and moved regions and new ministry is happening. In verses 3 through to 12, then it is on about marriage and it's on about singleness. Both valuable and both, uh, both valuable ministries and valid ministries which we'll have a look at here. In verse 3, we find out uh, we meet some Pharisees. And you may remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I'll just speak about them quickly. Sadducees, uh, we saw them last week when we looked at chapter 3, and the Sadducees were the, 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 the people, um, and we find out later on, uh, they were trying to question what happens with marriage at the resurrection as well. They questioned Jesus about that in chapters 22. So we meet them in two places. But they had, um, and I don't know if you've ever thought of that, what happens with marriage in the kingdom? If I'm married, do I get to 
Am I married? If there's no marriage in the kingdom, uh, are you still married there? Do you get to sit next to the one that you are married? And what if you're being married a couple of times? What happens? <laughs> Maybe you can think about that. I'll leave that with you to think about some other time. But the Pharisees who we meet, so that was the Sadducees, the Pharisees who we meet now, um, they came and this time they didn't come out to be baptised like it was in Matthew 3. They come out to test Jesus. And they're a Jewish party. Remember, they're lovers of the law, the strict obedience. They want to test Jesus. And they're hoping Jesus wouldn't be able to answer this question. And it would cause this tension and it would cause uh, this friction. Interestingly, it turns back on them and Jesus gives this, um, what I would call some uh, biblical theology, a masterclass with him. And we'll see that shortly. But let's think back because they're going to use some Old Testament ideas. And I'll just take you back to Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it did talk about there about divorce. Deuteronomy 24. If you're writing it down, you might want to take note of that. There was provision there uh, for indecency, it actually says. It's not necessarily adultery. Because, uh, so there was, there was provision for divorce there. Uh, maybe not necessarily for adultery, because in chapters 22 of Deuteronomy, uh, what happened if you committed adultery? You actually died, yeah. So uh, that's a little bit interesting as well. There's also different, obviously, interpretations of this, Jewish interpretations as well. The Shema school to the Hillel school uh, have different interpretations. But Judaism... A man had the right to divorce a wife, not the other way around, but. And this put a woman in a very vulnerable position. Can you see in society in those times? So some pious Jew, Jewish man, might avail himself of this provision and send her away, but he may not do it with a a divorce. So Moses' law coming in at that time maybe helped some of those ills that could have gone on and offered a woman maybe a little measure of protection that she had to have a written divorce, which would then allow her to seek another relationship. You see, a, a, devi- a devious kind of uh, man, a Jewish man, could you know, send her away, but not with a written certificate, or not with a written thing, and then claim that he's still married so she couldn't you know, get connected with someone else. So it could be held against her in that way. Well... Jews of the day, um, maybe in Jesus' day, divorce uh, on grounds of adultery is not permitted. It was really required, it seemed. And uh, Jesus here addresses some of that and brings some of that, um, uh, confronts them with some of these things. Now, just because it is possible, it's not necessarily should be sought after or beneficial in terms of uh, divorce. And to borrow a New Testament phrase, maybe from 1 Corinthians, things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. It is lawful in the sense that it's in the law, and you can see it in the Old Testament. Uh, But they come to him saying, any reason, for any reason, can divorce happen. So we'll have have a look there. Okay, you ready to read it? And we'll see how Jesus addresses them. 
Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they said, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Well, there's Jesus uh, mixing it on marriage as he's confronted with some questions. Do you see what he did? That he, what he does? He takes it back to the beginning. Some people come to him with a weighty argument of Moses. He goes to a weighty argument and before to creation and takes it further back to the beginning. Basically show us what marriage is. I call it the four P's and it's four principles that come out of marriage. Firstly, it's a pair, male and female. Secondly, it is uh, the second P that we find there is that it's public. It leaves their father and mother. This is a new union. It's a public thing. It's a public witness before people when people start up a new household. It's permanence. That's the, um, he's united to his wife, as it's put there. It's a, that's a permanent thing. And the fourth P is that it's physical in that it is sexual, one flesh. And the talk of what happens from there, the other P's that come on from that is procreation and pleasure, Maybe. Uh, that's a quick uh, summary of it. And this one fleshness is that sexual union in the most intimate that a couple can be. It's intended for a heterosexual monogamy relationship, monogamous relationship. And uh, this sexuality is something that is divinely ordained as well. It's not something that you can just uh, pick and choose at human's whim or will. It is um, given from God. Now, Jesus says here on divorce that it's not something that is really intended or by design, isn't it? As he goes back to Genesis, Jesus says, let no one separate. And so the Pharisees then question, well, why is it, in the, why is it, is it lawful? They're fixed on the law. And they hear Jesus say this and they understand that he seems to be saying that it's a prohibition, and they say, well, why is it in the law? And he says, it's because of their heart, your hard hearts. God has given this unity, and it's um, not to be dissolved at a whim or will of people. And clarifying here, it's not commanded, as the Pharisees say, did you notice there, but Jesus says permitted and it's permitted as a concession because of hard human hearts. 
uh, it's permission and a concession, and it's not part of what he says is the original. Now, earthly eyes, marriage might be looked at, and with our earthly eyes, uh, we could uh, divide. We could say uh, that it's set aside easily. But in a heavenly view, God's will is it's God's will, His ordinance, and it's to be held in high regard and high esteem. In verse 9, as you may have noticed there, the exception clause, sometimes noticed, except for fornication. It's only in Matthew, not in Mark and John, uh, not in, sorry, Mark and Luke. And it doesn't mean necessarily that if you sleep with someone who's not your spouse, that equals a definite divorce. Uh, it should because really the covenant is broken, but there is amazingly people who have been through that, spouses who have been that, who remain and who find reconciliation. And um, I've seen that up close. It mainly seems to be women who bear that brunt of that and are willing to return or remain. And it's only with God's strength or God's spirit that they can do that and may God strengthen them too. But three to nine, Jesus is, takes it back to Genesis and he shows the strength of marriage, almost seeing a prohibition to it there. And then, uh, you know, we might pick up and think of Old Testament scriptures like Malachi as well, where it reminds us that God hates divorce. Um, so it seems uh, quite pro, uh, prohibition there. But then there's this exception clause. And it is reminded this exception clause as well in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. And it may not mean the get-out-of-jail card that we sometimes play. We may have to think and reconsider that. But I don't want to spend any more time talking or thinking of divorce. I think it needs a whole other topic or category to talk about. And it needs to be talked about sensitively. And it needs to be talked about carefully. And there's a lot of guilt that really can go with that and a lot of shame, isn't there, still, that can hang around uh, divorce and even remarriage. So we'll leave that there and move us from marriage and what Jesus teaches on marriage there from Genesis to what he teaches on singleness. And we see that in verses 10 through to 12. This is Mathene as well, as in it's only in Matthew, this section, uh, as he talks of it. Follow along with me. So it moves from him talking to the Pharisees to him now talking to his disciples. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way, and there are eunuchs have, who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Verses 10 to 12, Jesus basically teaches here on singleness. And uh, we see what Jesus has to say here. And he uses this talk of eunuchs. If you want to look up at that in the Old Testament as well, you can see that in Leviticus 21, uh, where 
about priesthoods and eunuchs, and you can see uh, that also in Deuteronomy uh, about the congregation. But he says three things, and did you notice three categories of eunuchs there? Firstly, those that are born that way. He's talking uh, about um, genetics there on, on how you're born. Secondly, he says that there's those that are being given that or those that are being castrated. Uh, you can see or hear accounts of that in two kings. Um, uh, those eunuchs often looked after uh, the, the women or the concubines or other roles for the kings. You can see that in Esther as well, accounts of talk of eunuchs. But the third category that he talks about there are those that have been gifted for the kingdom. See, some forego the delights of a relationship of marriage in order to discharge a specific task for the kingdom. Now, we see that in John the Baptist and his life. We see that in Jesus and his example of his life. It's not a higher calling, um, but something, not, and not something all followers should seek, but those that are called to that to serve that way. And Jesus really makes that clear. Some will serve in singleness, some will serve in marriage. It's an invitation of Jesus here for those that can accept that, who have the capacity to accept it. Uh, verse 11. And sometimes translated as those with the capacity of that. It is God-given. That is, that it is actually a gift of God. And to be seen that way as well. It's a gift for some for a season. Uh, for some it's a gift for life. And for the, the season of life. That's Jesus' quick teaching on two verses, but I want us to think about uh, his life for a moment and the ministry of Jesus in our next point there before we, we get to some practical working this out in ministry of marriage and ministry of singleness. So next on our slide, you'll see ministry of Jesus. We see Jesus' ministry of singleness, but it did involve marriage and the marriage idea, as we hear about Jesus being the groom and his bride being the church, you're familiar with that. Um, marriage is a metaphor that is used for the husband who lays down his wife, as Jesus lays down his life for his church. And his ministry means that whatever your marital status is, you can have a future with Jesus. Whatever your marital status is, you have a future and you can have a future with him. And our primary status is the one that Jesus gives us. And that's his ministry uh, to us. But as we think about then applying that to us, and firstly, we'll talk about the ministry of marriage. Marriage is ministry. I'll say that firstly. If you're married, guess what? You've got a ministry and a prime ministry of yours is to your spouse and the relationship to your spouse. So when you invest in your marriage, you're investing in what God has ordained and a ministry which he has given you. To uh, if you're married to a Christian or even if you're married to a non-Christian. 
And you're to serve, and as you serve your spouse, it is ministry. It's the ministry of marriage. Sometimes uh, we forget that, and we, we go get busy serving everyone else. And serving everyone else might seem like real ministry, but it is real ministry to ministering your marriage. And so I want to say that firstly. It's a struggle too. Now, just over the last month, I've been talking to people who have been married for two years. Some have been married nearly 25 years. And they've been sharing some of their struggles with me. And uh, it's, there's real strain on, on some marriages. Needing the strength of the Spirit. And needing God's, God's Spirit to intervene. And God's Spirit to strengthen. And it's a good thing thinking of Pentecost. Come Holy Spirit and have your way in our marriages and calling out for His Spirit's way. So marriage is ministry. But, but secondly, I want to say marriage as a ministry because as our marriages uh, blossom and as they flow and even as they struggle, they can be of ministry to others. How can they do that? Well, even just in your own family. So immediately in your family... You think of uh, kids that are involved. If, if a family has, a married couple have kids, uh, then the ministry that they do to them as well uh, rolls out to them and can be something that can really invest in other people and be a blessing to other people. Uh, so it's really important for, for that. It can be a blessing to your extended family as well. Or maybe your marriage is a place where people feel comfortable and a house that feels like it's stable that they can then come and they can share their life and they can feel comfortable in. So your, your marriage can be a real uh, ministry to family. But let's think about our church family as we think about family and how marriages can be a, a ministry to within this church family. Because I think this is really important. We have some people who have been married here for 50 years plus. We've got some people who are just about to start out a marriage journey in two weeks. Jazz and Isaac don't know what they're doing. We laugh about that a little bit, but I'm serious. <laughs> they need people who have walked the journey. Uh, me and Fee have been doing marriage prep with them. It's been great, and I've loved it. And it's been a blessing to us as well, and hopefully it's been a blessing to you guys. <laughs> But, you know, five sessions, or how many have we did? Five or seven, I can't remember. That's not going to get them through, is it? They're going to need investment from other marriages within here that are going to pour into them. They're going to people who have been in the, can I say been in the industry? No, been, been in the, uh, uh, the ordination of what God has given to us to invest in other marriages. And I want to encourage us, those that are married, to think about mentoring another couple or just inviting them in so you can pray along with them, see how they're going, be a marriage mentor to them. We're to pass on. Some of you who have been married for 50 years won't be here with us maybe much longer. You're to pass on some of that wisdom. Yeah, yeah. You've got to pass on some of that wisdom and it needs to be handed on and it can be a great blessing. And so I want to encourage those of us who are married to invest and maybe look out for others' marriages that you can invest in.
And not only that can it be a blessing to our families and our church family, but also to our community. Our community that can see maybe a stable household, uh, maybe they can see a, a great witness of faithfulness, and maybe they can see uh, great and be part of great hospitality. And just going back to our family point, I wonder if, um, our church family, I wonder if we invested and if we took that intentionally, thinking about mentoring other marriages and inviting other people and journeying along and struggling along with each other, what our Christian divorce rate would look like. Because at the moment, it's not really going in the right direction. And I wonder what difference that would make. But let's move from the ministry of marriage to the ministry of singleness. Ministry of singleness. Now Paul indicates here, and the Apostle Paul writes, that there are some advantages to singleness, and you see them in Corinthians. Uh, Maybe speak to a married couple as well, they'll give you some advantages. But there's less responsibilities in some ways, there's great flexibility. I hear and think of my friend Martin Isles, who is leading and Uh, leading the group um, Australian Christian Lobby and I remember recently he said that he could only really do that as a single man at this point in his life he says the industry and the world of um, Canberra isn't really designed for a married person and at this time he can invest in that way as a single man I haven't spoken to him before I don't think anything's happening but I better check in with him (laughs) But at the moment, him leading that organisation, be the CEO of an Australian Christian lobby, uh, he can only give and do what he can at this stage because he is a single man and he's even said that himself. If you're a single young person, uh, I want to encourage you to continue to think about is this something that God has gifted you in? Is this something that God has given you? If you are a single um, mature person, I'll call uh, then it may have been a journey that you've been travelling on for longer. I have some college friends who were single for a long time, and even while we were at college, subsequently who are married at a later age, or I'd say a mature age. But there are all the others who have continued on on that journey and what God has called them to. One of them who I think are particularly in Japan, faithfully working in ministry there as a single lady. But we have great examples, even within us, of Elaine and others who have walked that journey and who have great wisdom. And I want to encourage them too to think about their mentorship of younger people and younger single people and the great opportunity that we have uh, there of huge wisdom and uh, longevity in what God has granted and gifted you. I want to remind single people that don't wish away the flexibilities. don't romanticise um, and I want to encourage you to not run away from the gift that God might be pressing upon you. Uh, it's only the strength of his spirit and his Holy Spirit that will give us the ability to do these things and I want to remind us of that as I finish now. Whether you are married, whether you are single, that you need the strength and you need the Spirit leading you in that. And let's pray now that we have God's Spirit 
leading and guiding us before we sing and bring praises and honour to him. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for the gifts that you give us. Firstly, I want to thank you so much for the gift of your spirit that you bless us with, that those that turn to you and call out to your name, that you, we will receive your spirit and we have received your spirit. And so, Lord and Holy Spirit, we ask that you will have your way in us. If we are married, we pray that you will strengthen us in that, that you will guide us to live that life that you have called us to and the gift of marriage that you have given us. If we currently find ourselves as a single person, we thank you for that gift. And we pray, Lord God, that you will strengthen, inspire, and encourage those who are single people. And Lord God, for those, both those gifts of marriage and singleness, we ask that you'll renew our thinking about it, that you'll renew and lead us in it, and that you, Lord and Holy Spirit, will guide and direct us this week. And we really pray and call upon your name for this, Lord and Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.